is the Healthy Families Podcast, and I am your host, Jenny Hatch. Today I'm going to be talking about the Twitter files and the ongoing war between Mendy Hassan, Matt Taibbi that broke out two weeks ago on Twitter. Mendy had Matt on his show last night, and I watched the whole 30 minutes of it this morning. And while it's true that Matt does not think on his feet as quickly as a journalist like Hassan on MBC, MSNBC, Matt's true gift is with the written word. Late last night, before he went to sleep, Matt wrote his response on Racket News, and he titled it, Eat Me, MSNBC. And I I shouldn't have read it right before I went to bed because I was laughing so hard. It, it really woke me up, but um had a hard time falling asleep because I just kept chuckling. But uh, the hypocrisy is deep and thick, layers deep. And um, today on Twitter, a little bit of a war broke out between establishment journalists, who I would term the empire, who have just struck back, and the journalists, the independent journalists who are standing up for free speech. And uh, people like Aaron Matei, who's a great host here on Colin, Glenn Greenwald, and Matt himself had the most important rejoinders to the whole interview. I shared them in a post on my Substack, which ironically today, for some reason, Substack is being censored on Twitter to the point where you can't even embed some of the tweets in your Substack. So if you try to share something from Substack on Twitter, it's being censored. And then reciprocally, if you try to embed certain people's tweets, like I tried to do Hassan and Taibbi's tweets embedded, they, it didn't work. So I just cut and pasted the text from the tweets and then put a link to the actual tweet in the body of my Substack. So you can watch the whole 20 minute interview from MSNBC on my post if you're interested. And um, then I shared several tweets from people like Matt and Mindy, and then um, what I would term the misinformation, disinformation cult embodied by Brandy Zadrozny, Joan Donovan, and those in their orbit who had some choice words to say on the current scene. This is what Brandy said about Medi. Is it Medi? I thought it was Mendy. The thing about Medi is he rises above the weeds and gets to the heart. Here he exposes that Matt Taibbi isn't a real reporter with standards and editors. He's tweeting threads that would never pass muster at a real news organization with accountability checks. And he does the homework. Well, Brandy, thank you for that. Man, if you hadn't typed that out, who would have ever known that? She also said about it, in general, I don't think it's helpful to platform liars who will ultimately benefit from more attention. This rule does not apply to Mehdi Hassan, who never misses, never misses. So thank you again, Brandy. What an insightful tweet. You're so helpful. Aaron, however, Aaron Matei said, in response to Mehdi Hassan's attempted scolding, Matei says the hilarity of this coming from MSNBC, which did nothing but vomit up fake Russiagate stories, that you guys have still never apologized for. Mehdi's defense was, well, I wasn't there in that period. Not me. 
So you can click over to my Substack and read these or go find them for yourself on Twitter. My goal with my Substack is to always be helpful to people who are busy, who don't have time to go find all this data and then put it together. I try to bundle it in my posts and then share it in what I hope is a helpful and upbeat way. And props to anybody who's out there tweeting funny stuff or memes because I highlight your content the most. Anybody who can make me laugh, that's the one I want to focus on. So I'm going to use this show to share my own Twitter story. I've shared it on other people's podcasts. And I've talked about it a little bit here and there on various places on the internet. But I want to have my definitive Twitter story out there for anybody who's interested. Um, I started on Twitter in 2009. And I used it just kind of conversationally to connect with other activists and share my content, which I had an old movable type blog that was hosted on the, on the internet on a, from a private web hosting company in Boulder, Colorado. And that old website was just called the natural family company. And that kind of bundled together my writings. I sold some eBooks from it. And I shared videos of a conference that I organized back in 2001 that was dedicated to husband and wife home birth, couples birthing, childbirth. And for years, that was my blog. I, I typed up my blog, the natural family blog and shared it from that, that place. Over the years, I, I racked up a lot of debt hosting the conference videos on that site. And there came a day when I just couldn't afford it anymore. And so I moved all of those videos to YouTube and switched my blog from movable type to WordPress. And I did that in 2009. And that's about the same time I joined Twitter and started getting more active on Facebook. And over the kind of 2009, 2011 timeframe, I garnered a lot of clicks. I had um, hundreds of thousands of clicks every month, about 40,000 unique visitors every month. And it was a going concern. I mean, it was, it was out there. And then the censorship showed up and it showed up around the, uh, CDC whistleblower vaccine story. And that's when it really hit hard. I had been mostly a, a pro homemaker, stay at home mom, healthy cooking slash childbirth blogger who talked a lot about politics. But um, when I started writing some very passionate posts around the HPV vaccine, which was about to be launched on the girls of America, and my own daughters were the age of the girls they were targeting, I started writing some very passionate posts. I spent a lot of time on those blog posts. And I also spent quality time going into chat rooms and talking with anybody who would listen about uh, how problematic this vaccine was going to be for our girls. And that has proven to be true. There have been enough documentaries and data that have come out in the intervening years that those of us who were yelling back in the day were completely justified in our alarm. So I started experiencing a lot of censorship and how it would manifest, for example, is I'd write a post share it on Facebook and on my WordPress, I could see it go viral. The, the share count would go up, it would go up fast. And then by the end of the day, I'd go back and look and I would see that there were zero shares from my WordPress on Facebook. Because 
it had a counter on it. And so somebody was not only stopping it from going viral, they were scrubbing it off of Facebook. And this is back in like, you know, 2011. So this type of censorship around certain stories was going on back then. And it was maddening because this was information that I believe parents deserve to have before they got the shot for their kids. And then the CDC whistleblower came out and this was a big scandal that manifested around the MMR vaccine. And the CDC whistleblower was a man named William Thompson, who had been a senior scientist working there. And in the early aughts, like 2000 to 2003, there were enough parents claiming damage to their children because of the MMR vaccine that the CDC said, okay, finally, we will do a all-encompassing humongous study to put this to rest once and for all that vaccines do not cause autism. We will, we will do that research. So they did, they did a Mondo study. I think it was in Atlanta, 30,000 kids. And okay, there is no link between MMR and autism. And for about 10 years, anytime a parent stood up or a group of parents stood up and said, look, our kids are autistic. We think it's tied to this vaccine. What was flung at their heads was this study. Sit down, shut up. We did the research where the scientists there is absolutely no correlation to what your child's suffering from tied to these shots, you know, go away. We don't want to hear from you. But the angst continued to build, you know, over the years. And uh, there was a moment when this whistleblower decided he couldn't live with himself anymore. He said, I would go around in public and see all these autistic children and just feel so, so much shame and guilt. I felt like I needed to do something. So he contacted a dad who was also a scientist, Brian Hooker, I think his name is. And he confessed to him what he had done. And Hooker saved these conversations. He recorded them. And William Thompson admitted that they had tossed the research in the trash because their own research proved that it was little black boys, little toddlers, little babies who were indeed being more affected by this MMR vaccine than any other group. This minority group of boys, little black boys were coming up autistic in a statistically significant way. So they had lied, they had lied to everybody. And when Robert Kennedy Jr., who just announced he's running for president yesterday, when Robert Kennedy Jr. learned this, he hauled his butt over to Chicago to talk to Louis Farrakhan because he had reached out to the Congressional Black Caucus, the NAACP, told them about what was going on with these little boys, and they didn't want to hear about it. So he went to Louis Farrakhan, and Louis was like, well, why don't you take this to Congress? Why don't you, you know, share this with with the black people. And he said, they're all bought. They don't want to hear it. There was one congressman, Bill Posey, who had a hearing, made some statements, uh, spoke out very bravely, but he was not covered by the media. So Lewis decided to organize a million man march on the CDC in Atlanta, which I'm sure you all heard about, right? Back in the day. <laughs> I blogged it. I'm sharing it, talking about it all over the place. And he organized a group, helped organize a group in California around the Nation of Islam 
to lobby the California uh, Congress, state Congress. So we had all these direct actions going on. There were so many parents with autistic kids who showed up in Sacramento on this one day where they could speak out that the lines were going outside of the building for parents who wanted to speak up about this. I watched hours of it live. You had parent after parent after parent standing up telling what happened to their child. It was maddening. And then because these direct actions were having some effect, you had what was termed the, the Disneyland outbreak. Do you recall? Oh, we've had an outbreak of measles at Disneyland and the whole fear machine kicked into gear to push back against activists being somewhat effective. We were not covered by the mainstream media, but we were having an effect. I organized some events on Twitter. We called it uh, Operation Infinite Tweet, where we were constantly tweeting out about the CDC whistleblower story. And Andrew Wakefield, who is a doctor from the UK you may have heard about, who's been completely slandered and libeled for ever since he stood up publicly, he made the definitive documentary called Vaxxed and told the story of the CDC whistleblower. So it was around these types of activities that my Twitter basically went dark. I, I knew that I was completely ghosted. Nobody was seeing what I said. But I continued to stay on the platform because I used it to organize data for my blog. And it is very efficient to put a photo or a video or a news clip and a couple of links and the text right in that little box and then embed it into my blog. It saved me time. And so I got very quick using Twitter, my tweets and other people's tweets to tell my stories on my blog. And I continued on the platform just to be able to read, connect with other activists, and then I was still able to direct message people. And although my own content was completely shadow banned and ghosted, I was able to use a plat the platform to a certain point. And so that was the place it was from like 2011 until I was completely banned a couple of years later. Um, during that time, I um, continued to expand my reach on my WordPress, and I especially got into podcasting. I had a podcast at Blog Tech Radio that um, sent my shows to Sprecher, Spreaker and several other platforms. I did a ton of interviews and I also did uh, all of the significant writing I've done over the years. I, I wrote 10 books, uh, one on education, most run home health care, childbirth, um, natural family living. And then I did a couple of compilations of my most traffic blog posts. And that's all available right now on Kindle. And I've kept my price low. Most of my content's available for 99 cents each because I want people to read my work. And one of the most gratifying things about being a writer, a content creator is hearing from the people who appreciate what you've said. And so I've really enjoyed that side of my work. I also invested so much time in crafting videos that I would place wherever I could, on YouTube, on Reddit, um, of course, embedded in my blog. But I really spent quality time on the video production because I learned as an activist that when I would go to an event, um, whether it was an anti-vaccine rally or an education event, or I was really involved in the Tea Party movement, um, starting from 2009, that even if the media showed up, and interviewed us or interviewed me as an event organizer, 
they never got the story right or they blatantly got it wrong or they never reported that they they talked to me at all and that continues to this day it's just kind of like if you are a leftist marxist antifa um person who's trying to take down anything of substance in america you get the microphone and you get tons of coverage of your work but if you are pro-family pro-free republic pro-america pro-free speech uh yeah sit down shut up we don't want to hear from you so i and many other activists realized we had to be our own media and so we all got very good at doing short form and long form videos for our readers sharing all sorts of content and we love sharing each other's content and that was a way for us to bypass the media. I see you there, Lance, but I'm gonna keep monologuing it for a few more minutes. I'll bring you in in a few, but it's probably gonna be like 10 or maybe 15 more minutes. Just don't want you to get discouraged or think I'm ignoring you. So uh, once the Tea Party's revved up in 2009, I also organized some health freedom rallies at uh, Governor Polis's Boulder office. At the time he was a Congress state congressman and so um, we organized several health freedom rallies because we understood that with o Obamacare coming, that that was going to be another layer of socialized medicine that we did not want. And so there were many activists who stepped up and came to these rallies. And um, probably my most significant effort around that was there was a bus full of Democrats who traveled five hours from Broomfield, Colorado down to Grand Junction Obama himself was coming to hold a rally in Grand Junction at this big event center. And this bus full of Democrat supporters was driving down to, to be at the rally point because uh, Grand Junction tends to be more conservative. And so they were concerned that there were going to be a whole bunch of anti-Obamacare people there. And there were, and they wanted to kind of shore up the, the forces by bringing people down from Denver. When I showed up, I was working for the Huffington Post as a citizen journalist. I did not tell them my feelings about the cause. I just said, I'm a journalist reporting for the Huffington Post and I'd like to ride on the bus. And the bus organizer said, that'd be great. And so those people were great. They welcomed me with open arms. I rode on the bus for them that day for 10 hours. We spent two, three hours at the event, just, you know, rallying. I walked over to the other side and interviewed a whole bunch of people who were anti-Obamacare people, included them in my report, took a whole bunch of photos and videos. And when I arrived home, I um, compiled it all into this post that was cross-posted on my blog and at the Huffington Post. So that was the type of journalism I was doing in, uh, you know, like the 2011 to 2020 timeframe. And it's just something I enjoyed doing. I that was probably the biggest day I ever gave to one of these things that a whole day. Most of the time I'd go down to the Capitol in Denver, which is like an hour from my house. I'd stay for 15 minutes or an hour, interview people and go home. So I didn't have to be away from my family too much, but I did organize a couple of the early tea parties in Colorado. And the big one we had in 2009 was around the constitution. We had it on constitution day in September. And because I organized that whole thing, that was a big effort. My son, Andy came with me and helped me set up all the sound equipment and the lights. It was pouring rain. So that affected the sound equipment. We weren't sure if we we're going to even be able to have a rally. And um, boy, those people, 
They just showed up, stood in the rain for all those hours. We played the Constitution and um, had a 60-minute recording of the Constitution, somebody reading it as an audio uh, presentation. They stood there for it. Same lady doing the Declaration of Independence. Everybody cheered. It was just a moment to have that time with fellow patriots from Colorado. In Boulder, where I live, it's kind of a liberal mecca. Uh, we call it the People's Republic of Boulder because there's so many Marxists in town. Boulder County has more PhDs than any other place in the world. And so the, the leftism is thick. But the, the fellow conservatives I've met here, liberty lovers, are passionate, articulate, and focused. They have to be because it's a hostile environment. And so um, I've loved crossing paths with these people over the many years that we've lived in this part of the country. After my Tea Party activism wound down, we moved to Utah to be with our kids who are in college. We had three kids at the same college. And so we decided to live together to save money. And for three and a half years, we lived in my husband's parents' home and took care of his disabled sister in exchange for living there while our kids went to school. And it was such a blessing because it saved us so much money. So that was our Utah years. And during the Utah years, I really didn't do a lot of activism. At least around um, education issues or free speech issues. Um, I was a part of the Utahns Against Common Core and did a couple of events with them, both online and in person. But mostly I was just focused on my family and uh, my theatrical pursuits. Cedar City is just this mecca of uh, music and theater and live performance. And so my husband and I are both singers and we just dove in. I think at one time Paul was singing in three choirs. I was singing in a couple of choirs. We did lots of Lots of attendance of shows. You know, there was so many opportunities to go see high quality theater with the Utah Shakespeare Festival. And then we were able to just, you know, revel in the atmosphere, which was joyful. It was a real break, you know, from our time in Colorado, which revolved around our kids and high school activities and church. But um, I didn't have a lot of time to do theater and music here. I did as much as I could fit in. So it was joyful to do that. So I didn't do as much activism. When we came back to Colorado in 2016, um, I really was not prepared for how the last eight years were going to play out. I mean, we were just grateful to have a job. We were grateful to have an apartment. We got a car. We had lost everything during the time we were in Utah, down to our last two nickels. <laughs> and then the miracle came and we got a job and came back, back to Colorado. But... As our life started here, um, here's this election coming up that I was just so nervous about. I, I felt that if Hillary Clinton was elected, we all knew she was going to have John Podesta be her secretary of state and Donald, uh, Bill Clinton. They'd been talking about him being head of the United Nations. And with those three and those positions of power, I didn't know how the world was ever going to recover. I, I didn't think I was, I was thinking it was over, you know, we're done. Um, but you know, I've read the scriptures. I know how the story ends and I didn't know how heavenly father was going to deal with Babylon, but my goodness, 
what a miracle to have witnessed these past seven years. I mean, Trump had just thrown his hat in the ring when we left Utah and it was looking pretty good that he was going to win the primary, but I did not know how he was going to beat this, you know, this Leviathan that we have of corruption and insider trading and, you know, just all the many layers of voter fraud. I, I didn't know how he was going to pull it off. I figured it would take a miracle and I think it did. But um, a couple days before the 2016 election, we get this document dump from Julian Assange and WikiLeaks published all those DNC emails. And I, I'm a news junkie. I spend hours every day following everything. And I immediately recognized that here, here was something new. And so the Pizzagate story was born and I dove in headfirst because it resonated. The things I was reading, the things I was hearing, and I started making movies and sharing content around that. And uh, it was one of my Pizzagate movies that got me banned from Reddit. I posted it and I watched it again go viral. It was being shared. It was going hard. And then all of a sudden I find myself completely cut out of Reddit. They banned my account. Uh, I can't even, even today, I cannot log into Reddit from that IP address because they have me so banned. So that was the first salvo of, of me being censored uh, beyond just the regular shadow bannings I'd had on Facebook and Twitter. That was a complete, you are not allowed to be here, woman. And I was like, well, those, those guys are serious about this one. But from there, it just escalated. You know, I kept writing blog posts. I kept creating content. And next up was my YouTube channel. Uh, certain videos, they just pulled them. No apology, no explanation. Gone. And I had worked really hard. You know, if you've ever done a YouTube channel, just getting your first thousand subscribers feels like climbing a mountain. Once you get a reputation and some followers, then it starts to spread and you grow and it's joyful. And, and you can start making a little money with you when you monetize things. So that was exciting. I got it up to 18,000 subscribers and it's really going. I'm excited. And then there came a day when it was just cut, gone. And I will say too, that there were certain videos that I deleted myself. It wasn't that all of it was censored. Occasionally I would get nervous about what I had just posted and I would take it down myself. And that's true about certain blog posts. So it's not like all the censorship I experienced was coming from what I perceived to be deep state uh, sensors, but most of it was. And so I started again, I started another YouTube channel with another email address and started going and they kind of left me alone and I started building it again and it was going. And then same thing, there came a day when it was just gone. And this is incredibly demoralizing when you're spending so many hours creating content, sharing your thoughts, sharing your views. Um, and then it's just gone with no explanation. And, you know, I have never made one penny from YouTube, not one. And my videos, some of them have had hundreds of thousands of views and just nothing. So it's, it's sad and it's hard to see other people doing really well when they have a YouTube that revolves around home decorating or any topic that women are, women are interested in. And you're out here, you know, sharing what you perceive to be the most important content 
political content information about healthcare that is vital for young families to understand. And it's just gone. They don't want to hear. So I have known for years that there was a medical police state that was being formed and it was going to revolve around vaccine acceptance or non-acceptance. I could feel that 20 years ago. And when I gave a speech at one of my anti-Obamacare rallies at Jared Polis's office back in the day, this would have been probably like 2010-ish. And that video is still on YouTube. Um, I had written on my t-shirt, no medical police state, because I was so concerned about this Leviathan that was being crafted. Uh, I had outed Anthony Fauci as being a big problem at a rally that I organized in 2009. And uh, investigative journalist Sherry Kane and Dr. Leonard Horowitz flew in to be the keynote speakers. They did a fabulous job. And we named the names of all the people who had hoisted the H1N1 vaccine on the world, a vaccine that we believe had been designed as a depopulation tool that killed babies and their mother's wombs. And this has been proven since then. There was a spike in miscarriages in 2010. It's a fact. And, uh, you know, one of the people we named was Dr. Anthony Fauci. And the thing that makes me so excited about Robert Kennedy Jr. running for president is that for the next two years, he will be able to speak his truth without anybody censoring him. He's the one who wrote the definitive book on Anthony Fauci, the real Anthony Fauci. He's the one who has stood up so bravely to these demonic people who have created this horrifying worldwide medical police state and, and just like a knight of old held up his sword and said, you shall not pass. And um, I'm so excited to see what he does over the next few months. I'm praying for him, for his family, for his health, that he'd be protected. And then there's Trump. And this is, this is the place where people get a little mad at me here and there, that I'm so supportive of Donald, Donald Trump. And it appears that he's all in with pharmaceutical companies, with his vaccine uh, rapid escalation of the creation of that that vaccine. I got to get a drink. People like to point to Operation Warp Speed and claim that that's proof that President Trump is all in with what's happened with the vaccines and with the lockdowns and bowing down to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins and Dr. Burks. And he's just 100% supportive. And why didn't he fire them back in the day? And all I would point to is think about how the media has treated him on every single thing he did. As soon as he would make a decision, there would be four lawsuits filed in various courts around the country. And he tried, anytime he tried to do anything controversial, the media stood up and started just screaming at him for what he was doing. Do you think it would be any different if he had stood up and said, you know, I think the drug companies are probably going to hoist something on us that might be bad for people. And I, 
I think you probably should not take it. What would have been the response of the people if he had done that? Just think it through. You know what it would. I don't even need to say it. We all know what it, the response would have been. And if Hillary Clinton had been president for the last six years, it's my belief, deeply held belief, based on my own experience, that we would already have had FEMA camps for anti-vaxxers, for vaccine refuseniks, people who did not want to get the shot. Maybe even a couple of loud, obnoxious people like that Jenny Hatch in Boulder, Colorado, may have had a bullet lodged in their brain for not being willing to sit down and shut up. Maybe that would have happened by now. But because we had Operation Warp Speed, because the vaccine was brought to market fast, the lockdowns were stopped, people started getting the shots as they wanted, and Trump, from the very beginning, said they should have free choice, no mandates, they should be able to get it or not get it as their desire is. And then he handed the policy, all of the policy matters to the states and said, you figure it out for your own people as is appropriate. You don't ever want somebody at the national level saying, this is what's good for all people. That's a scary place to be. That's totalitarian. So for him to hand off this responsibility to all of those, all of those individual 50 states, and then we have over 100 countries around the world gathering their data, sharing their information with each other. Well, this is a study we did. Oh, and this is something that we've recorded happened to our kids. 17-year-olds getting the shot. Oh, by the way, increase in myocarditis. What's going on with that? And then you come to find out that Dr. Fauci himself funded a study proving that the original coronavirus did not come from a lab and then paid off the media to put that out instead of the truth. The levels of evil that this man has gone to just never stop. And Robert Kennedy Jr. has got his number. And I believe we are going to get some justice around all of these matters in the coming months and years. It's very exciting. You know, I'm someone who, because I'm an anti-vaxxer and I've been an activist for all these years, became quite hopeless at times. How are we ever going to win this thing? Because the people are so blind. I know, I know people who their children have died the very day they got five vaccines. And then they have the next baby and they take them in to get all their shots. And there's no conscious awareness of what is what, what did what, what caused that sudden infant death, what caused that sudden adult death. And I like to think that because there's been a crowd of us yelling as loud as we can in person and on the internet, that perhaps some of the people who said, you know, my baby doesn't seem healthier. My baby seems sicker. What's going on? It's supposed to make them healthy. That they are watching where before maybe they wouldn't be watching. Wouldn't be connecting the dots. And that because there have been some of us yelling and writing books and sharing videos and podcasts and whatever means of communication we had to tell these stories, perhaps we were able to save one or two from, from dying or being permanently disabled. 
that was always my goal. If I could just help one mom keep her kids safe, that's worth it. That's worth it. So here we are to today where the evidence is coming out that there has been a ton of censorship. And these disinformation and misinformation experts, so-called experts in the form of Brandy Zadrosny and Ben Collins and Joan Donovan and all the gang on Twitter and at Harvard, all the places, NBC News, they're a little bit uptight and sad. They have someone like Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger and Barry Weiss and others sharing the facts about how people like me were censored. And they don't like that. They don't want the truth coming out because it makes them look like idiots. It makes them look like they're involved. It perhaps puts them in legal jeopardy if they knowingly spread propaganda that caused people to die. There needs to be some justice. There needs to be some truth telling and it needs to be around the facts of what's going on here. And I have been more excited about these Twitter files coming out than probably any other thing going on because of what it shows and what it proves in terms of what happened to people like me, having my voices silenced, my voice cut off because I was trying to share, share good information, solid information with parents who deserve to know the facts before they submitted their kids to these poisons. It is a glorious day. I'm so excited about it. So I've just finished my monologue. Johnny, you want to come on? How are you? Hey, Jenny, how you doing? Good. Hey, thanks for the link to the uh, Mehdi Hassan interview. I saw, um, I'm on, I'm on the rackets, uh, email, um, newsletter. And Did you read Matt last night? Wasn't that the best? Where he's like, you're getting this email to know it didn't go well. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> um, so I, I want to check out the link itself. You know I mean? It's one of those past the popcorn moments, right? Oh um, gosh, did you see the latest though? Now Substack links are now being blocked on Twitter. <laughs> I said that at the beginning of the show. It's not just uh, I, that. I tuned in late. I'm sorry. It's I didn't realize you've been going it's for half an hour. No, it's not just that. I couldn't even embed certain tweets in my Substack posts. Reporting on the story. That's so wait, it goes both ways. Now Substack is yes. banning Twitter. I could have. Ooh, tech bro fight! Awesome. I know it's lazy. Tech bro fight. <laughs> so what do you think of the interview? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I just saw your link. Now I'll go check it out. I just want to say thanks for the link. Um, and then I just laughed about the uh, you know the guy who's like at the center of the Twitter files is now banned from sharing his stories on the Twitter files on Twitter. I know. It just, it's just irony piled on irony. I piled on irony. <laughs> well, what's, what's your story? Cause I don't meet people like you on Colin all that, all that much. What's your background? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just a dude on Colin, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen you around a little bit in rooms and stuff like that. I know, I know you lean kind of conservative. I mean, I'm, I'm generally, uh, you know, on the left, but, um, you know, I'm uh, just a dude, you know, with a family in Massachusetts, um, you know, raising my kids, living that middle class lifestyle dream, <laughs> I guess, who who would like a little bit better world, right? Yeah, I think we'd just like it to be safe for our kids to grow up. And my yeah. kids are all grown, but my, I've got two grandchildren coming and two oh, that are already. So you, you, you've crossed the finish line. Well done. 
Yeah, when our youngest moved out last year, I was like, dang, it's quiet around here. You did it. You won. (laughs) (laughs) It is a good moment. I mean, it's a little bit bittersweet because I do miss him, but. Watch out. They come back sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's a cold world out there. They might come back, man. (laughs) They're all looking pretty self-reliant. He's the one who cracked me up the most because he, he, 18, he's like, all right, I'm out of here. I don't want to be here. He went and got a job in a factory and consciously so he said, I want to learn all the skills of a factory, you know, everything. Worked his way up to factory floor manager. The kid's pulling down 60 grand a year. That's great. He hasn't even been to college yet. He's doing night school, doing night school to go to college and he's getting married in May. And I think it's because he's, he's number five. I have four other kids who've all, you know, grown up and he just watched his siblings. He's like, well, this is what you do. You know, you grow up and you get married and, you know, live your life. And it's so funny watching him because you'd think he'd, you know, want to party for a couple of years or I don't know, but he's, he's like, no, I just want to start my adult life. And so it's been fun, fun to watch. Good for and him. he doesn't want to work in a factory for his whole life. He wants to do other things. But Yeah, watching those retirement age riots in France. I mean, people don't – I mean, look, I'm I'm a white-collar guy, right? I'm sitting here with a laptop on my lap. And, um, you know, I can work till whatever age our corporate overlords decide to tell me to work till, right? I'm not – I don't have achy knees and, you know what I mean? My body's not falling apart. But, like – you know, for people working in the building trades, factory work, like this stuff, where the wear and tear gets to you. Um, it you does. Know, it's He's on his feet so, all day long. And yeah, I'm so, that's I'm so proud of even him. Even in your 20s, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Your feet start hurting, you know, your legs and knees and stuff like that. Like, it does take its toll. It does. So how old are your kids? Oh, mine are uh, 8 and 12. Ooh, you're about to get oh, to the yeah, fun yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. I'm already getting some of the uh, some of the teenage attitude coming through. Just know, if they hate, the more they hate you, the better it is because it means they're really planning to leave, which you want. You want them to grow up. But they always come back when they're 25. And I mean, come back emotionally. This is what I've experienced with my four oldest. They go through this period where like, mom's the dumbest person on the planet. I don't want to <laughs> listen to anything she says. And by the time they're 25, they're like, you know, she's not, she's not quite as dumb as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta is, play the long game i guess right well, <laughs> isn't that the theme of parenthood <laughs> i just think there should be a law that you can't get divorced if you have a 17 year old because it's the time when you and your you need spouse, a cooling off period right <laughs> well you and your spouse are at loggerheads to know with this child because i think of 17 year olds like three-year-olds a 17 year old has too many too many options they could go so many different directions and all of their decisions are so important that they shut down emotionally and they get scared you know and so they flip back and forth and they're crazy and mom and dad are crazy to know how to help them. And so there's just a lot of room there for, you know, just fighting. And I've seen so many couples get divorced when they have mm. a 17 year old. I'm like, don't oh. do that. You need All to play right. good cop, Warning bad signs cop. up ahead. Well, you, you play good cop, bad cop, you know, and you just manage your child and help shape them and, you know, just kind of shepherd them. It's not like you want to force them to go to college or force them to go in the military or whatever. It's more just like try to help them explore their options and recognize their hormonal. And, you know, it's just such a crazy time. But I've done it now five times. We survived. But, man, it is just not for the faint of heart. It is It is definitely a um, you earn your stripes as a parent. But it's also joyful because, you know, you're watching this person grow up and, you know. You got to find the joy too. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm lucky. Both my kids are very good kids, healthy kids. You know what I mean? They, you know, no major issues and stuff like that. I mean, not everybody I know has it as good as we do, so we're we're definitely very blessed. So. Um, oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, so you did it five times over. Well done. <laughs> Two is enough for us. I think we've had it. <laughs> yeah, each one we have, we're like, should we have any more? I don't know if we can have any more. Uh, yeah. And then it was. You got to tap come, out at some point, right? Well, I come from a family of eight. My husband comes from a family of seven. So that was oh. kind of like our, and we have siblings who have six, seven, eight kids, you know, so we have lots of people in our, in our sphere, but five was about all we could do. We, we definitely had our challenges, but so thank in, you so much. What's your name? Is it Johnny? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fine. Thank Call me so Johnny. For stopping it's, I, mean, by. I extended think I'm going to for John, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. Johnny's kind of like a little guy. Rick, yeah. Dickie, you want to come in or should I shut the show down? Looks like he doesn't want to participate. Oh, oh there, there he is. We go. Thank uh, you, Johnny. It was wonderful chatting talk. with you. Hope yeah. You have a great day. And uh, <laughs> I, I've seen you get into some some back and forth with some of the other people on calling. I know it's a tough crowd, so. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I'd so much rather talk to people like that than people who agree with me. It's just, <laughs> I'm serious. I'm totally serious. I love it. And you know what? Yes. I really appreciate people who point out my own hypocrisies. Because mm. sometimes I can't see them. Mm. And it, and the ones who've taken the risk to just get right in my face and point it out, I'm like, oh, well, thank you. I didn't know that about myself. And it's, <laughs> it's helpful. It's really it, helpful. It is funny how it may not be a f- fun process, but it does help in you sharpen your arguments, uh, question your assumptions that you may not have recognized when you have a – I had a long-running argument years ago with a friend of mine about – uh, GMOs. And it made me really think hard about like, wait, what is, you know, why do I feel this way on a particular issue? What, what is the argument for and against? And, you know, you know what I mean? And like, what, what's bullshit? Cause there's always bullshit on every side of an issue, right? There's always there you know, people talking their book and that kind of thing. So it, it is, I, I definitely see a point where you do need to talk to people who disagree with you because otherwise nobody's questioning your thinking you're right you're not doing a lot of uh, growing and improving right no it's been very helpful and you know if you don't have it from people on calling you certainly have it from your 17 year olds so. <laughs> <laughs> so just have a kid if you want to become more self-aware they're so happy to point out your inconsistencies and your hypocrisies believe yeah. me <laughs> especially when you don't let them do what they want right <laughs> yeah well <laughs> We got to get them through their teen years without them killing themselves or killing anyone else. Or, you know, when I think about all the pitfalls, it's just staggering. But, you know, knock on wood, they all made it through without doing anything truly evil. And well, that's it's, good. It's a hey. miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, nice chatting with you, Jenny. Thanks for the you link. Too. I'll, uh, Thank I'll you. go check out uh, Mehdi Hassan going head to head with Matt Taibbi. That it should was, be fun. <laughs> it was choice. It was choice, I can tell you. All right. Have a good one. Enjoy the weekend. Happy Easter. You too. How are you doing? Doing fine. I just came up. I I was just coming up to be polite. I was listening. I I didn't have anything to say. (laughs) Oh. And I didn't want to type it. I didn't. I thought I I thought that would be quicker. I I thought it'd be quicker to come up and just say, "I'm fine." We want to end the room. Yeah, I think I'm going to. I've been going for an hour, and I got to take my nap, but. That's all it's right. uh, that's, it's that's good to say hello, and I appreciate you listening. Perfectly fine. I just, uh, hello, and yeah, that's fine.
All right. Well, I hope everybody has a great day. Thank you all for stopping by and happy Easter. Actually, it's Good Friday, so happy Good Friday. Good Friday to you.